1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim, that the time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, Then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth, and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. In verses 2 to 6 then of this chapter that we have just read, we see the backslidden people of God being dealt with in a way of mercy by God. The key word in the text is the verb return in verse 3. If ye do return unto the Lord. So we want to think about the backslider's return. Now there are four things in the passage. First of all, there is the misery, the backslider's misery. And then we want to think of the mercy, the divine mercy, God's merciful disposition towards them. And then we want to think about the message, God's word to the backslider. And then we want to think about the meekness, this wonderful, humble and submissive response that the people manifested on this occasion. But notice first of all then how miserable the backslider really is. Verse 2, what does it say there at the end? All the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now whatever that means, it certainly means that they were in a state of misery. They're wailing. They're mourning, they're unhappy, they're sad. At this time in Israel, it's a bit like what Jeremiah found in Judah in his day. In fact, the ministry of Jeremiah reflects somewhat the ministry of Samuel. The Lord said in Jeremiah's day to Israel or to Judah, Thine own wickednesses shall correct thee. And thy backsliding shall reprove thee. This is Jeremiah 2 verse 19. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter. That thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God. And that my fear is not in thee. Saith the Lord God of hosts. Notice the word thy backslidings. It's plural. They haven't backslidden once. But many times. Frequently. All the time, never cease backsliding. Thy backslidings. 
I want you to keep that in mind tonight. The backslidings of the house of Israel and the misery that it produces in their lives. Thy wickednesses shall correct thee, Jeremiah said. And that's what happened to Israel. Their wickedness corrected them. They looked into the ark and the Lord smote them. They were chastised. They knew they were corrected. They felt corrected. And what is backsliding? Well, Jeremiah tells us it's forsaking the Lord and it's not having his fear in the heart. My fear is not in thee. It begins in the heart backsliding. Why did they look into the ark? Why did they lift the mercy seat? Because they'd already forsaken the Lord. They'd forsaken his word. They had no fear of him. They had no reverence for him. They were already backslidden in heart before they lifted the lid. The lifting the lid was just the proof that they were far from God. Backsliding begins in the heart. Before it's seen in the life. And so whenever we backslide from God in heart, we're in danger of very soon doing wrong and committing sins and Going against conscience and against the word. The restraint of God's presence is gone. The fear of the Lord is gone. And then sin just, it just follows. That, that's the path of the backslider. But what I particularly point out about what Jeremiah said. Are these words. It's better. To backslide. An evil thing. And better. That you've forsaken the Lord. And that's what is true here about these people here. Twenty years. What does the text say there? The time was long. For it was twenty years. Twenty years away from God. Twenty years of misery. Twenty years of no fellowship with the Lord. Twenty years without repentance. Without truly changing the heart and life and seeking God afresh. 20 years. And the Holy Spirit says it's a long time. And so it is. 20 years is a quarter chunk of a man's life. Should he live to 70? It's about 30% of a man's life if he lived to 70. And many don't see 70. So it's quite a chunk of time to be in a backslidden state. What a waste. And yet the backslider goes on. Year after year, a long time without God, a long time without the spirit of prayer, a long time without receiving any blessing from the word of God. And this is not the backsliding of an individual, the house of Israel. It's the whole church. It's the whole body of God's people. They're all characterized the same a church, a people out of touch with God. Now we don't know what Israel's going through because of their backsliding. No doubt the Philistines have the preeminence. No doubt there's a lot of servitude to Philistia. There are things they can't do, but certainly they're not worshipping God. The worship of God is fractured. The ark has been taken away. It's not present now in the worship of God. Maybe there's no offerings at all. Before this, they had despised the offerings of God. And maybe God has taken them away altogether. And maybe now there's no offerings at all because there's no ark of the Lord 
in Shiloh at the tabernacle. And Shiloh's probably destroyed. There's no temple there anymore. There doesn't seem to be a functioning temple. 20 years. Without church. Without the house of God. Aren't there people like that who profess Christians? 20 years without God's house. 20 years without prayer. 20 years without the Bible. And they'll say they're Christians. They're backslidden. Well, we, we can't judge these things. But certainly it's possible to go 20 years as the professing people of God and go without them. As it is here before us. One thing is clear, they're not enjoying the Lord. They've left the Lord and they're unhappy. They're mourning. They're crying out for help. They're not repenting. They're not seeking the Lord. They're not praying. They're not going to the temple, the tabernacle. But their hearts are crying out in misery. And God hears that misery. And he knows what it is. It's the absence of him. It's the absence of the joy of the Lord. And they're lamenting after the Lord. Maybe they don't know it's after the Lord that they are lamenting, but they know they're miserable. You've heard the saying, it's a cry for help. It's a cry for help. Maybe not a cry unto the Lord, but the Lord sees it. They're not repenting, they're not putting away their gods, but they're miserable. And the backslider is miserable. Really is. There's no person as unhappy as a backslider. None. They know they're out of tune with God. They know that things are not right between them and the Lord. But they won't return. They won't stop. They won't confess. They won't repent. They won't deal with the things and with the issues. And they just go on. So I don't want you to think that this lamentation is repentance. It's not that. It's a cry for the help in the misery that they're in. And the backslider laments every day. He's out of touch with God. He mightn't put it into the words. He mightn't think he's missing the Lord. But he is. You know we can all backslide. And we all do backslide. In heart. But let us not foolishly go on for weeks and months and years. Let us quickly seek the remedy. Let us quickly seek the Lord. The misery then is very evident here. Notice also God's mercy. Because verse 3 says, And Samuel spake, Unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you but return unto the Lord with all your hearts. So there's a messenger here, and he's a messenger of mercy. He's a messenger who's speaking about returning. Now, where's Samuel been for 20 years? He appears on the scene here suddenly to Israel after 20 years of lamentation and misery, and he brings them. The word of God. And it's the gospel. It's a word of grace. It's a word of mercy. It's a word to restore. 
Because God is merciful. Streams of mercy ever flowing. And Samuel is coming along in that stream of mercy. With the word of God to backslidden Israel. God is reclaiming them again. You see, restoration. If the backsider is going to be restored. If he's going to be reclaimed. It commences with God. It begins with God. The sheep goes astray. It doesn't come back. The shepherd has to go after it. And Samuel is sent after the backslidden house of Israel. Do you remember the Lord Jesus said, he's like Christ here. He says, I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's maybe even thinking of Samuel when he says that. Samuel spake unto the house of Israel. And the Lord Jesus Christ sees himself as the fulfillment of that Samuel, he's speaking unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's a messenger of God's mercy. He's been raised up in mercy. Samuel is not a hard-hearted man. Samuel's not there to beat them and to chasten them more and to add to their afflictions. He's there to present to them the gospel and to preach the cure. He's sent in God's mercy. That's what I'm saying. And you know, whenever you get away from the Lord, he, he, he will come to you to reclaim you. He will minister to you. He'll speak to you. He'll challenge you. God said to Jeremiah, go, go and proclaim these words. Return, thou backsliding Israel. Return. And Jeremiah did that. And Samuel's heard a similar call. You go and tell Israel to return. God wants the sinner to return. He's gracious. He's kind. He even tells Jeremiah what to say. Return ye backsliding children. And I will heal your backslidings. For I am merciful. So he even gives them the message. I'll be merciful. I won't keep my anger forever. Return. He even gives the message to Jeremiah. And I'm sure Samuel has got the message as well, though we're not told that. He's a prophet now, and what he speaks is the word of God. We're sure of that. So there's mercy here. And this is what the backslider needs, God's word. Not just to read it, but to hear it. I mean, they have the Bible, they know what the Bible says, but they need to hear the word. So he spake to them, He's a preacher of grace, a preacher of mercy. It has pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And it's pleased him by the same foolishness to restore the backslider, to reclaim the backslider. So restoration begins with God, we're sure of that. It's like salvation. God comes in salvation. God comes in restoration. It's the same thing. How good is the Lord? Psalm 23. He restoreth my soul. I didn't do it myself. I didn't mend myself. I didn't fix myself. No. He did it. The Lord restoreth. My soul. And this is how he does it through his word, through 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 the prophet, through the preaching. 
So raising up Samuel is just the Lord seeking the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And even though it's been 20 years that they've been backslidden, as the Holy Spirit says, it was long. It was long. The life is wasted. 30% of the life is gone. It was long. And yet he still said, return. How many years a backslider has wasted? But the Lord calls him still to return. What's the message to the backslider? Well, we, we've already said the main word, and we, we come to that. But it's found in verse 3. If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts. That, that, that's really the first thing. You have to return. You have to turn around. The backslider has forsaken God. But what did they do? They, they sent the ark off, didn't they? T- take him up from us. Take him away from us. Away. But the Lord says, return. Not, not get further away. Don't go on in your backsliding. Don't get further and further away. But, but return. Turn around. That's, that's the answer, isn't it? Come back to the Lord. Seek his face. No matter how long it's been, 20 years, still, still return, come back. No matter what the sin. But we looked into the ark. We lifted the mercy seat. We done this terrible act. Return. Just return. Remember the prodigal? How miserable he was. He pictures Israel here in that misery, in that bondage, in that servitude, in that unhappiness, in that darkness. But he came to his right mind. And there was a word echoing in his mind. A word that the Holy Spirit had put into his mind. Return. I will return unto my father's house. Oh, the backslider, if he only heard that one word. Return. Return. So the wicked and the unrighteous are to forsake their ways and turn unto the Lord. And the backslider, he is to return unto the Lord. He's to come back again. Not only is there the return in the message as the thing that brings back into the communion again there has to be reality about it there has to be sincerity if you return unto the Lord with all your hearts and it's not just returning to church, it's not just returning to this and that and the other no, it's actually returning to the Lord, to the person of the Lord and with, with your heart with sincerity, with earnest desire. Not only is there the reality, there is the repudiation. You have to put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you. You're to repudiate the idols. You can't put something beside the Lord. You can't have something more than the Lord. Whatever that has taken the place of the Lord, that relationship or that thing or whatever that has come in between you and the Lord, it has to be repudiated. It has to be forsaken. It has to be cast away. And so put away the strange gods from among you. And then there has to be the recommitment. Prepare your hearts unto the Lord. Prepare your hearts by prayer. Praying for his mercy. Praying for his Holy Spirit. 
praying for his grace to come into your life. And by the word. Because that's how we prepare our hearts. The word comes to us. And it helps us to pray. And sometimes we pray with the word. The spirit helping us. And we prepare our hearts. Through the word. And over the word. And with the word. And as we hear the word. There's something going on within us. As we let that word come to us again. And as we cry unto God with sincerity of heart again, there, there, there is this preparation unto the Lord. And the Lord, the Lord sees this. So this recommitment. And then there is the promise of rescue. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. You see, the, the backsliders and bondage, this is the problem. They're under the servitude of Philistia. They maybe can't carry weapons. They maybe have to pay a lot of taxes. Maybe they can't assemble as a big congregation anymore. A case that's looked upon as raising up of an army. There's this servitude under the hand of the Philistines. As the backslider is, the backslider's in bondage. Maybe drink. Maybe some sin. Maybe something that they can't give up. They're not able to give up. They're powerless to give up. This is the answer. I'll deliver you. If you but seek me. If you but return to me with your heart. If you're but sincere. If you but prepare your heart with the means of grace. And get out to church and get under the word. And pray and cry. And make the effort and seek God. I will deliver you. I will rescue you out of that hand of bondage that's in your life. This is God's promise to the backslider. God doesn't promise the backslider you'll go on in bondage. You'll continue on. You know. No, I'll deliver you. I'll give you the victory. And they did get the victory. And they raised their Ebenezer. How many Christians raised their Ebenezer today? How many are in bondage? How many are backslidden in heart and life? And the devil seems to have the victory. So the misery, the mercy, the message. But then lastly, I want you to notice the meekness in the response to the word. Verse 4. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth, they put away the Baals, the gods, and served the Lord only. This is a response of obedience. This is a spirit of meekness. There's not the attitude of, who does Samuel think he is preaching to us like that? Who does he think he is? There's not an angry response. There's not a rebellious response. They served the Lord. He gathered them to Mizpah. They went to Mizpah. They poured out this water before the Lord. They fasted. They confessed their sins. They said we've sinned. There's a spirit of meekness in all of that. Every act. We'll look at every act in a moment. But there's a spirit of meekness that is prominent in it all. Not stubbornness. 
It's clear the Lord by Samuel has melted them by the word. Remember James said, Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. The word is able to bring you into fellowship with God. The word is able to deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. The word is able to build you up the word is able to save you from a wasted life and from misery such as you've been in for the last years. The word is able to do that. But you have to receive it with the spirit of meekness. Meekness. Remember that the house of Cornelius were all present before God, he said. To hear all things that are commanded us by God. That's the spirit of meekness. Whatever God has to say to us, we'll listen. And we'll seek his grace to obey. The meek will he guide in judgment. The meek will he teach his way. Because only the meek are teachable, you see. And Israel here, with all their faults, 20 years, there's been now a great revival. The, the Lord has come in power, and by his word, he's melted them, and he has given them the spirit of meekness. And the meek overcome. In fact, the Bible says, blessed are the meek, they'll, they'll inherit the earth, they'll inherit the whole world. They'll overcome and inherit everything. They manifested this meekness in, in these different ways. First of all, they put away these gods. Now you're probably wondering, what are believers and the professing people of God doing worshipping other gods? Well, these are the culture gods. You know, Christians are in danger of this too. They don't bow down to idols and they don't pray to other gods, but there are culture gods. The world, the flesh, the money, the isms, the pleasures, of this sin-crazed world, whether they're sinful pleasures or lawful pleasures, taken to expensive extremes, and eat away the time and the money of the people of God. These other gods. They have to be put away. Be devoted to the Lord. Serve the Lord only. Give all for him, your time for him, your love for him. Let him be the chief affection of your heart. And they did this, they served the Lord only. And then it says there that they gathered to Mizpah. They started to assemble again. They started to gather together again as a body of the people of God. Mizpah here is some sort of sacred place in Benjamin. Shiloh's probably been destroyed, maybe overrun by the Philistines. We don't know. There doesn't seem to be a temple there anymore. Uh, they come to Mizpah. Mizpah means a watchtower. That's an interesting word in the Bible. The watchtower. The place of watchfulness. The place of prayer. The place of vigilance. And they're called to this place, to the watchtower. To, to the watchman. To hear the word. To have the vigilance. To watch. To seek the Lord. Watch and pray, the Lord said. 
So they're back to the watchtower. They're back to the sacred place. They're back to the assembly of the saints. They're back to church. They're back to prayer. They're back to obeying the word of God. They're back to following the Lord. Probably they hadn't been allowed to assemble. You'll notice there that in verse 7, when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together, they went up against them. They're doing something Philistia doesn't want them to do. The devil doesn't want you to gather together. The devil doesn't want you in the assembly of the saints. The devil doesn't want you at Mispah. The devil doesn't want you in the watchtower. The devil doesn't want you praying. The devil doesn't want you listening to the watchman bringing the word of God. And so when there's a gathering together at, at, at Mispah, that's when Philistia rises up again to stop it. But they're obeying God. They're gathering together. No matter about Philistia. No matter what the law of the Philistines is. No matter what the hand that is over them in bondage has been saying. No gathering together. They gather together. In obedience to God. There's nothing more important than our gathering together. And then there's this ceremony. They drew water. And they poured it out before the Lord. And that was accompanied with fasting. The ceremony in that day, whatever it is that they're doing, drawing this water, pouring it out constantly before God, expressing their heart, their hearts, telling the Lord, we've sinned against you, Lord, pouring out the water as a, as a confessor sins. And they're not eating. They're fasting. They're just seeking the Lord. They're giving the whole day to God, pouring out the water. What, what is all this meaning? It's difficult to know because there's not really anything like it before that we read of in the Bible. They want forgiveness. And they want healing. They want to be cleansed, but they also want to be mended again. To be put together again as people of God. As men and women of God. And so there's this, this ceremony of pouring out the water. The Holy Spirit records it. So it, it must be very important, very significant. It must be something that helps them. Something that they're tangibly involving themselves in as part of assuring their hearts before God that, that they're genuine and real, pouring out the water. You see, water is very valuable in, in Israel. Because it's very hot. And sometimes it's very hard to get. And you don't pour that onto the ground. The precious water. And that's, that's what they're doing there. They're pouring it all out before the Lord. Expressing something that's in their hearts. In the spirit of meekness. And it, it could be that it is a symbol of their repentance. Of their brokenness. This is like our hearts. We pour out our hearts before you Lord. We're melted before you. Your word that you sent to us has melted us. It's, we were hard but it's melted us. And we're now just we're pouring out our hearts. We're weeping before you. The Bible says. You people trust in the Lord at all times. Do pour out your heart before him. And so there's this verb pouring. 
We're pouring our prayers out before you, Lord. We're emptying our souls. We're, we're confessing our sins. We're, we're just pouring it all out. You have to do that, you know. You have to pour it all out before you, Lord. Lord, I've, I've forgotten you. I've neglected this. I've done this. I've been in this folly. Just, just pour it out. Just pour it out before the Lord. That's how you get healed. That's how you get mended, you know. By being honest with your physician, the Lord. And so, so they're pouring it out. I mean, really, that's what the backslider has to do. If he has a problem, whatever it is, he has to pour it out before the Lord. And be honest. In Lamentations, we read, Cry out in the night, in the beginning of the watches, pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up your hands towards him for the life of thy young children. And there again, the pouring out of your heart like water is a picture of prayer, of desire. So it may be something of that in this. And then again, it, it may be a symbol of, of a wasted 20 years. You see, the thing about water is, it's like life. Water is life. The water of life, it's a picture of life. It brings life. And it's valuable life. It's precious life. And whenever you pour it out, it just goes into the ground. And that's, that's the basis. That's the life of it gone. 20 years. Lord, we poured our life out for 20 years. And we wasted it. It's like that water that's poured out before you. It's a waste of 20 years. Lord, forgive us. We've sinned against you, Lord. Maybe that's what it's picturing. The wasted years. Let's think about it. Let's, let's go home thinking about this ceremony. Let it Work on in our minds and hearts. Such a waste. But then, it also may express their surrender to God. I mean, water is the most valuable commodity that they possess. They've put away their idols, their Balaams and their Ashtoreths and all of this. But now they're surrendering themselves up to God. Lord, we, we, we give our life to you. We pour our life at your footstool. We're surrendered to you. And this is what, what we need. This is what, what the church needs to be brought to, to surrender to God. So they're showing, uh, we're depending on you. We're throwing the water out. We have nothing. We don't even have water. We're depending on you, Lord, for everything. We're utterly given over to you. And then, of course, Maybe there's something of purification here because water, pouring out of water, the cleansing water, I'd sprinkle water upon you and cleanse you. The washing of water by the word. And maybe there's something here, Lord, we, we need your water of life. We need your washing. We've confessed our sins. Now give us the washing. Water can't do it. This material water can't do it. We, we pour it out in confession that, that that cannot wash us. But Lord, you give us the washing. Your washing. So maybe there's something of that there. But of course, this pictures the Holy Spirit. I'll pour out waters upon the dry ground. Springs of waters in the wilderness. And on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out. 
Because the pouring out of water is a great symbol of the Holy Spirit. And so we could look upon it as this. Lord, we, we need the pouring out of your Spirit upon us. We've confessed our sins. We're sorry. We're seeking your face, Lord. But we're not going to have the life of victory unless you give us the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to be a conquering church. We're not going to be a church militant, getting the victory over our enemies, trampling down the wicked before us with the gospel of truth without the pouring out of your Spirit. So it's a confession of their greatest need. Pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon us. And then, lastly, at the end of verse 6 it says, And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. He's now recognized as the judge. He's now allowed to judge them. He's just appeared on the scene. It doesn't seem he was their judge before, but now he's appeared on the scene he prays for them. He's, the word has melted them. The Lord has dealt with them. And now they're, they're bringing Samuel into their lives. To judge them. There are things that are wrong that have to be set right. Samuel, you, you point it all out. and You tell us and you guide us. And you lead us in the right path. With judgment and justice and righteousness. And so they're accepting Samuel. They're giving Samuel his place. Now, I don't want you to think they're just giving a preacher the place. Samuel's a type of Christ, the judge. And that's what the backslider has to do. He has to give Christ his place. He has to look afresh to the one who will make the intercession. Samuel prayed for them. He's the one who prays for them. They have to look again and depend upon him who will make the atonement for them. Samuel makes the atonement for them. He takes the sucking lamb. They're, they're, they're trusting in him. They're looking to him. They're following him. And the backslider has to come afresh to the high priest and let the Lord back in and trust in that intercession and trust in that atoning work and fellowship with Christ. I mean, just imagine Samuel's walking amongst them now. He does the circuit all around Israel. You read about it at the end of chapter 7. He's, he's around in the communion and the fellowship of all the people of Israel. And that's what we really need. We need Christ to, to walk among us again. For him to have his proper place. For the Lord to be judging in the midst of us. And we're obeying him and following him. So truly they have been made meek. They have been changed. Now if only they had have done this in chapter 4. But better late than never. It's never too late, backslider. Return. Return. 